Thank you for listening to sermons by Chaplain Braswell. This ministry desires to help people know and live for Christ through the preaching of God's Word. And now, today's message. Good morning. I am Chaplain Verdon. I am the 303rd EOD Chaplain. And it is my pleasure to be here with you guys. We are going through the book of Ephesians, uh, chapter by chapter, I mean uh, passage by passage. We're trying to get through it, and we're trying to see what Paul had for the church in Ephesus, and therefore for us as well. Okay, so if you'd like to, well, even if you don't want to, grab your Bibles, open them up to Ephesians chapter 1. Anybody ever know that when you really don't want to read your Bible, that's probably when you need to like... That's nothing. That's laying yeah. That's just a little bit extra. That moment when you say, man, I have no desire whatsoever to read my Bible. Stand up, go get your Bible, pray and read it. Right. That might be awkward in the middle of command and staff, but, you know, you, you weigh it. So we're in Ephesians chapter one, verse 15 through 23 is going to be today's text. We are. Dealing with a letter, realize that the book of Ephesians is a letter. It is a letter written by Paul. Paul is in prison, and he loves the church of Ephesus. It is his, like, you can read letters and feel how someone feels, and then you can look at the Bible and see that it says that Paul loved the church in Ephesus, right? So while he's he's in prison, the church in Ephesus is doing good things. They are loving people. They are loving God. They're growing. And Paul, if you can just try and put yourself in his mindset, if you understand this, that Paul, his entire life after meeting Jesus Christ, literally, was that he would share the gospel. He even says, even even if... He, he has people at one point who are preaching the gospel in order to overdo his ministry and get him beat up all over it. And he says, oh, as long as the gospel's being shared, anything, as long as the gospel goes out. He's, he's about to be killed. He says, as long as what I'm doing shares the gospel, that's who Paul is. And what are you doing when you're in prison? Anybody know? Thinking and sitting, right? And if you're one of those type A personalities, anybody ever worked with a type A personality or been a type A personality, what does sitting look like? Just the worst, worst, right? Just the absolute worst. I'm assuming my daughter is one day going to be a type A personality considering when she gets sick, she's like, don't make me sit. Anything but sitting, right? I'm hoping she ends up being like the corporate CEO of some billion dollar company. It'll be great. However, you got Paul who all he wants in the world is for the gospel to go out. And he's sitting. So he is a he he's he's writing a letter. And these letters are not like a letter like if you were to say, hey, I'm gonna gonna write a letter to Bethel Baptist Church, because there's a billion of those, and I'm not afraid someone's going to know which one I'm talking about. Bethel Baptist Church in wherever. You would write a letter, it would go to the church, and the church would read it, right? Okay, well, this is not how this worked. How this would work is Paul would write a letter to the church 
in Ephesus. And that letter would make its way through the hands of believers all over the place. And everyone would read it. Everyone would read it. And before you know it, it was like, hey, did you read that letter from Paul? And it would be well known. And it wouldn't only be known in Ephesus. It would be known in the towns between Paul to Ephesus. Does that make sense? This was not a secret letter. This was what Paul wanted to say to Ephesus, but hopes everybody listens to. Who's included in everybody? Say me and you. That hurt a lot of English people, didn't it? Me and you, is that right or wrong? Me and you, you and I, we okay with it? And that's not a big deal? Okay, that's good. I'm from the South. We're not really accustomed to English, really. So, um, he's expecting everybody to see it. So that's where we get to this passage. We finished the doxology last week, and here we are. Ephesians 1, 15 through 23. Hopefully I've talked long enough for you all to find it. Here we go. For this reason, because I have heard of your faith in the Lord Jesus and your love to, toward all the saints, I do not cease to give thanks for you, remembering you in my prayers, that the God of our Lord Jesus Christ, the Father of glory, may give you the spirit of wisdom and of revelation in the knowledge of him, having the eyes of your hearts enlightened, that you may know what is the hope to which he has called you, what are the riches of his glorious inheritance in the saints, and what is the measure, the immeasurable greatness of his power toward us who believe, according to the working of his great might, that he worked in Christ when he raised from the dead and seated him at his right hand in the heavenly places, far above all rule and authority and power and dominion and above every name that is named, not only in this age, but also the one to come. And he put all things under his feet and gave him as head over all things to the church, which is his body the fullness of him who fills all in all. And I have to be honest with you. This passage preaches itself, and I had the hardest time coming up with how to preach it. You want to know why? Here's the reason why. When pastors get up, what we want to do is we want to inform you. We want the word of God, not me, the word of God to stir up your heart. For you to see the truth, and then we want to give you a list of do-outs. We want to say, okay, in order to be obedient to this passage, go do this. Otherwise, what's the point? Right? The thing is, what we're reading is a prayer. This is not a do-out situation. This is a prayer, and what we are as pastors, I'm just letting you know, and I'm probably just talking about myself, but I'm going to include every other pastor in here in this statement. What we do as a pastors, what we do is we say, okay, well, we're reading a prayer. What can I tell them to do from the prayer? The problem is, this isn't mama's prayer at the dinner table. And what I mean by mama's prayer at the dinner table is you finally come together. We'll, we'll say dad's prayer at the dinner table. Uh, you, you finally pull everybody together and you're praying, Lord, help us to be grateful. And then you see Jackson eating and help Jackson to remember to wait till we're done praying to eat. 
in Jesus' name, amen. Right? That's not what we're doing. That's not what Paul is doing. Paul isn't like, okay, let me start to pray for you. And in the middle of this prayer, stop eating. We don't eat while we pray. Which I eat while I pray all the time. Just not at the dinner table. Right? Stop it. Stop it. That's not what Paul is doing. Paul is actually and sincerely asking God to do something. So who's the acting participant in this? Say God. God is the one that's acting. Right? And if the pastor can't get up and be like, you're wrong for doing this, so do this, then we're just, oh gosh, what do we do? But here, why do we do that? Why do we do that? And again, I'm talking about myself in this, at this point. Just me. Why do I do this? And maybe you resonate. Okay? I'll talk about me. You resonate. If you do. We forget that Christianity is a supernatural belief. Let me word that different. We forget that our God is supernatural. Let me word that again. We forget that the one and only creator of the world is bigger than this world and bigger than our duals. That's what we forget. What is the Christian belief? What do we believe? We believe that once upon a time there was no earth. There was just a void. And then God spoke it into existence. I prefer to take C.S. Lewis's take on this from uh, uh, The Magician and His Boy where he sung it into existence. That's, but I wasn't there. What, what do you know? He might have just said, earth, done. Right? Who knows? But he spoke. Does that sound natural to you? No. That he, that he put people on earth and that he as God walked with them on earth and then that they sinned and they separated themselves from God. And God said, that's okay to quote Chaplain Harrison, I'll fix it. Don't worry, I'll fix it. But not yet. So what I'm going to do is I'm going to create a generation of people and I'm going to lead them with fire and clouds until they get to a land where I'm going to lead them, them through the Holy Spirit hidden behind a veil that if you walk in there unclean, what happens? You're dead. That That's going to be the truth until the thing that I prophesied thousands of years ago comes to pass in the life, the birth of Jesus Christ, who happened to be 100% God and 100% man. And I don't know if you understand percentages, but that ain't natural. That he lived on earth for 33 years and died, which for most people is the end. But then he rose from the dead, conquering sin and death, tells us that we can now have a personal relationship with the God of the universe, which we still can't see the end of. And all we have to do is believe. And then tells his disciples, well, that was good. Now, I've done that. Who's done all this, God? Now I want you to go and I want you to wait. Why do they have to wait? Because he's going to send the Holy Spirit and the Holy Spirit shows up. 
and creates the church to which he says, go and do the things I've done through the power of a spirit that is greater than you can comprehend. And if you think you can comprehend it, explain the Trinity to me. This is what we believe. Not only is this what we believe, this is the truth. This is what is. And I think, speaking of me, and let me know if you resonate, we forget that that's the God that we deal with. We forget that the creator of the universe is the one. And then I think, you know what? I'm saved. And then I forget that God said this like crazy thing. He says, no man can confess Jesus Christ as Lord apart from the Holy Spirit. Like you can't even, you can't even know him unless he calls you to do that. Now, we can get into what that calling looks like, and y'all can argue about it offline, but the fact is, you would not know God unless he wanted you to. And you're here, aren't you? Which means he wants what? For you to know him, which is interesting, considering this is what God prayed, what Paul prays for. If I were to sum up this prayer, it would be this. It would be that the mighty power of God might be known and experienced by those who believe. This is what Paul is praying for believers, not just the ones in Ephesus, not just the ones in the Ephesian church, because as we said, this was a circulating letter and it's going to believers and you say, well, I already know him. I'm a Christian. That's not what he's talking about. We're not there. Well, that's not it. He's going to pray and you're going to see and I'm going to hopefully I'm going to show you that what Paul is praying for the believers is that they will know God so well that they will experience him producing the power of God through them. So he wants them to do what? Know him so that God will produce power through them. Right? Y'all got it? got it? Good, let's go home. No, I'm kidding. I'm going to take a little bit more time on it. Got Paul prays. And he starts out like he does all of, this, all of his prayers in thanking God for them. Now, let's put your head into Paul's headspace. He's in prison. He can't share the gospel. They are out there loving the Lord and loving people. Is he grateful? Yes. yes. And I could preach a sermon on that, but I'm not. I'm going to skip over because I'm going to go to this part that really shook me up, that made me unable to give you a do-out, which hopefully you're going to walk out of here and do. You see what I'm saying? How crazy is that? That that if you if if the Holy Spirit works through this, then you're going to go out and do exactly what Paul prayed for. So we're going to skip down to the second half of verse 16, and he says this: "Remembering you in my prayer, remembering meaning 
I, I am praying for you, and that word really means taking special note of this topic in my prayers for you. Taking special note of this topic in my prayers for you, that God of our Lord Jesus Christ, the Father of glory, may give you the spirit of wisdom and of revelation in the knowledge of him, having the eyes of your hearts enlightened. Who does the work here? Y'all can speak. I'm, I'm Southern. I need you to like respond. Like My problem, not yours, but it's still a problem, right? I need you to give me something here, right? What is he, who does the work here? Say God. God. That God would give them the spirit of wisdom and revelation. That that would come from God. That, that they would receive. Now, what is wisdom? My understanding of wisdom is that wisdom is knowledge played out in action. Okay? So that God will give them the spirit of knowledge played out of in action and in revelation. Now, how did we get our scriptures? Through revelation. We got our scriptures through revelation. That was the imparting of truth onto those who penned or wrote the scriptures that we have now. Okay, what he's saying with these first two things, the spirit of revelation and wisdom is that I pray that God gives you the knowledge and the ability to act on that knowledge. I want you to have now this is not a new thing to Paul at all. Uh, if you if you would turn to Colossians 1:10, And you'll see or if you've got your Bible apps, this will be faster. If you've memorized the scriptures completely, it's a lot faster but if you go to Colossians 1.10, it says so, or Galatians 4.9, it says so as to walk in a manner worthy of the Lord, fully pleasing to him, bearing fruit in every good work, increasing in the knowledge of God. And then if you want to turn to Galatians 4.9, don't worry, we're not done with Ephesians. We will be back there in just one second. He says, but now that you have come to know God, or rather to be known by God. And he goes out to show what that looks like. Now that you have come to know God, or rather to be known by God, I want you to know him. And you've got to see this from Paul sitting in prison and his whole world turned upside down by the flip, flipping of facts. We'll talk about that in a second. He's just sitting there like, what is my prayer for these people who are not in prison, I pray if one thing, that you would know him. Yeah. And I said that, and I got some, got some pushback on it. Well, we're talking to Christians here. Of course they know him. Exactly. We're talking to Christians. And Paul's prayer for them is that they would know him. I don't know how if you can change the definition of a word by giving it emphasis. You want me to know? I want you to know. Right? That's what I'm looking for. And, and if we look at Scripture, what changes? <clears throat> when we take people who don't know him and then introduce him to them. If you think of Moses. Moses was a murderer who had run from justice out to the wilderness Got married, good for him, best thing he could do. My dad used to say, best old thing in this world you can have. 
good wife. And I have one. She's at home with my sick daughter. No, son, preparing to have... She held off on birth so I could preach today. And we'll see how that goes after that, right? Okay. Got married, goes for a walk, and he runs into what? A burning bush, right? Says, take your shoes off. You're on holy ground. And he says, who are you? He says, I am. I am. Using the words, I, I, it's, it is me. You are talking to the one who is, and you aren't even enough to be am. Like, that is me. You have spoken to me. He comes down off the mountain and goes from running away from murder to let my people go. Changed. Immediately. We have Isaiah, who is walking, thinking he's a good man, thinking he's a good person, has a vision of the Lord, looks at the the, the the house of the Lord looks at the train of God and becomes, oh, what a wretch I am. And then you, one of my favorite scenes in the Bible of all times, because I picture it probably different than most people do, is I picture it like an adult playing hide-and-go-seek with a child. Where's Jackson? And he's right there, right? And, Paul, and, and Jesus says... I don't know. I'm going to have to yell or something. Battery dead? We'll be fine. Y'all got me, right? I am so loud. I've had lots of caffeine. We're good, right? So, my, my favorite scene is, is God is up in the skies. Who will I send? And Isaiah goes from, here am I, Lord, send me. But when I send him, everyone's going to hate him. Yes, me. Send me. What changed? You knew him. Because I hold this. I hold this to be true. To know God is to love him. And to love him is to follow him. You have no choice. It's no choice. It's not even a matter of like, well, I see him and I don't really like him. No. You don't have a choice because if you see God for who he is, don't worry about it, man. We're just going to we're just going to roll without. You going to give me something? What is that? No, we're not doing that. Okay. Yeah, we're not going to do that. So, to see him is to know him. I don't I think that those of us who feel like we have to like pull ourselves up by our bootstraps and yeah. get to going, you just don't realize how big God is. Yeah. You just don't know who he is. And that's Paul. Paul was out there imprisoning and killing Christians yeah. until Jesus showed up and said, why are you persecuting me? And then he became the church planter that we read about in the Bible. What do I want for those people? I want you to know him. But he says, I don't just want you to know him. I want the eyes of your heart to be opened. That's not even just like a... We think that the heart means emotions, right? We think that, you know, she broke my heart. So your emotions are hurt, right? That's not what they thought. Actually, 
she broke my stomach is probably what they would have said because emotions were in the stomach. Which makes sense, right? Before I preach, my stomach gets tight, not my heart, right? So the stomach, what they would have said is the heart, it would have been the essence of who you are. I want the essence of who you are to be opened to God. And this goes beyond knowing him. I want you to be familiar with him. And you know what? I, I, I got to be honest. I think that this might be my prayer for those people that I love as well. This is my prayer as well because the people I love, they come to me with statements like this. I can't go to God. He's angry at me. Right? I can't. I just feel like I'm letting God down. I feel so ashamed I can't go to God. Right? To which I want to start quoting scriptures, but really what I'm trying to say is, no, I know the guy. That's not him. I know him. That's not who he is. He's not angry with you. He's pleading with you to come back. He's not ashamed of you. He's running towards you. He's not, he's not pushing you away. That's you. And I think that the knowledge is like, I don't just want you to know him. I want you to get to know him. I want you to go beyond the first date. I want you to get to the point where you're like, that's not real. That's not his emotions. I know God's emotions, right? I used to have this uh, worldview professor. And I know I'm spending the lion's share of the time on my first point. Y'all don't get scared. This is my main. This is The rest flows from this. Everything else is built on this, in this prayer, right? You might need, no, don't get scared. I'll be fine, right? I have a professor, and he, a worldview professor, and really it ended up being a class about how to defend the faith. And we would prevent arg present arguments after arguments after arguments about why Christ is God. And he would just beat us down with everybody else's arguments. It was it, it was miserable fun, right? Like, and we, we just really enjoyed it. But at the end of every class, he would look at me and says, at the end of the day, you can't tell me God doesn't exist. I spoke to him this morning. That's what I'm looking for. Not I prayed this morning. You can't tell me God doesn't exist. I spoke to him this morning. Right? What's going to happen? What would happen if you knew God like that? Would your life change? Would you be changed with that knowledge? But here's the, here's the trick of it. You're like, oh, got it, Pastor. Go home. Know God better. It was a gift. Nobody went home and did enough pull-ups to know God. Nobody went home and read enough Bible passages to know God better. They asked for it. That's it. They asked for it. Mom, can I have dinner? Yes. I would love to feed you. Right? Of course, that's followed by, I don't want to eat. But... That's completely different, right? That's who God is. God, can I know you better? 
Yes. Ask for it. It was a gift. I'm not giving you a do-out. Maybe if I had a do-out, it would be like, ask for it. Ask for it. And God will give it. How amazing is that? You're like, oh, man, I, I would really rather you told me to crawl on my knees across glass because then I know I would have suffered enough to know God the way he's supposed to be known. Except for that God says no. Just ask for it. He says, but once you do know him, what's going to happen? What happens? So that you may know the hope to which he has called you. Have you heard bad news in this yet? I haven't. It says, I want you, I'm praying that you will know him. And once you do know him, guess what else you're going to know? That's the next point. Good. That, that, guess what else you're going to know? You're going to know the hope to which you were called. That's what you'll know. Do you think the world is lacking in hope? Never in the world, never in the history of America has there been a time when parents think that their children's lives will be worse than theirs was. That is, that is understood. That is, that is the survey across America. Parents think we shouldn't have kids because it's going to get bad. Right? Bible says that it is a blessing to have a quiver full of arrows and those arrows being kids. Let me just go ahead and disagree with that right off the bat, right? It's, it's a blessing to have those people who you are raising up to love Jesus Christ and then firing them into the world so that they can bring this knowledge. That is a blessing, right? But our culture at this point says the world's getting worse, man. There's no hope here. God says, I want you, Paul says, I want you to know God so that you can know hope. Where's hope come from? Say God. God. Y'all catching a theme on these answers? Who's doing the work? God, right? He says, I want you to know God so that you may know hope. Now, what hope is this? Now, this hope is a, a now and not yet hope. If I, I, I'm not going to make you turn there because I speak too fast. Colossians 1.27. Somebody can go ahead and go to Romans 5.2 if y'all would turn there. But I'm going to read Colossians 1.27. It says, To them God chose to make known how great among even the Gentiles are the riches of the glory of the mystery which is in Christ, the hope of glory. And Romans 5.2, one of my favorite passages in the Bible. Through him, we have also obtained access by faith into the grace in which we stand. And we rejoice in the hope of the glory of God. It is now and not yet. Currently, you have access to the grace of God. Currently, if you have accepted Jesus Christ as your Lord and Savior, if you have said, yes, God, you are God, you are justified, just as if you'd never sinned. Justified. Currently, in the future, you will be glorified. Currently, you are being sanctified, meaning you are being made to look more and more like Jesus so that when you get to heaven and God says, why should I let you into my heaven? He looks and what does he see? Jesus. Who's doing all this work? God. At no point do you say, thank you, God, for saving me. Thank you, God, for glorifying me, but I'll sanctify myself. Thank you. 
This hope is current and not yet. He is currently bringing you closer to God, currently making you more and more like God, currently providing hope. The hope of the glory of God is not heaven only. It is now. Currently. We have hope of a better everything. And we have hope of a God who knows us. Right? But interesting little statement here. A hope to which you were called. Who provided that hope? Say God. Golly, y'all are going to get this before we get out of here. You're right. Who, who brought that hope into your world? Say God. God did that. Hope in which you were called. This is a requirement on your life by knowing God. If you know God, you will have hope. It just is. So what's my do out? Go home, get hope. No. Go home, know God better. But it was given to him, to you. Go home and ask God to know him better, right? Now and not yet. He did the work to draw you. He did the work to save you. He is doing the work to sanctify you. And he will do the work to glorify you. That's good news, people. Go back to my last sermon. We should probably act like we have good news. There should be some smiling, and I think we should throw more parties. No, the next, my next point is this. Not mine. Paul, Paul's next point. I'm just writing it up there as if I wrote it, wrote it, right? This is Paul. He prays that you would know the riches of his glorious inheritance in the saints. If you know God, who is your father? Say God. This is interesting. Y'all see if y'all can work the dynamics with me here, okay? If I know God and God is my father, you know God and God is your father, and you know God and you God is your father, what's that make us? Siblings. Siblings. I got, I got stuck on this when I first got started, that you would know the riches of the glorious inheritance. I'm like, that's right. I am a son of God. I am redeemed. That's who I am. But that's not where the sentence stops. Actually, that's not even the whole point of the sentence. It's in the saints. Because if you were to know God, who else would you know? You would know those whom he loves. Right? God describes the church as his bride. I have run into, I run into a lot of people, a lot, a lot of people. Can I say a lot of people who say, you know, I love God, but I don't think I really need the church. I love God, but, you know, I don't really need to go to church. I love God, but, you know, the people, they're just hypocritical, sinful. They're just, they're just gross. And I say, yeah, yeah. Oh, that's true. Here's the problem. God loves the church. That's right. You and I can be friends. We really can. We can be really good friends. I got to tell you, you start bad-mouthing my wife, we ain't going to be friends for long. So if you don't like Rachel, just keep it to yourself. We can stay friends, right? I think it's 
would be odd if you didn't like Rachel. She's amazing, right? However, here's what I'll say. You can't love God and hate his church. Because God loves his church. And that's your family. And guess what? This, this family isn't built off a of race. This, built, this, faith, this church ain't built off a of culture. This church isn't built off of football teams or political ideologies. This church isn't built off of literally anything other than the fact that we share the same Father, and that is God the Father. And because we share the God the Father as family, you have got to love each other. We, we we have real. It's not even based on denomination. We could be Methodist, we could be Episcopalian, we could be all kinds of things. But if we share Jesus Christ as Lord and Savior, we share a Father, which means we love each other. You don't have a choice in God. And he's saying, if you knew God, this wouldn't be a problem. If you knew him, wouldn't be a problem. And I'm not saying, hey, go out there and be nicer. I'm saying, uh, check your heart. I love everybody except for those Southern Baptists. God, we hate those guys. Well, check your heart. Right? I, I disagree. I hate all those people I disagree with. Check your heart. Maybe the thing that you need to be asking for is to know God. We're not going to get to heaven and be sectioned off by denominations. They're not going to have the loud Pentecostals and the quiet Christ Presbyterians. No, we're all going to be dancing together. Right? What does God want you to do? He wants you to know him. On to my last point. I told you I was going to be doing the lion's share on that first point. This is really crazy. It says, what is, and what is the immeasurable greatness of his power toward us who believe? And then he goes on to describe, and I've talked about this earlier in the sermon, so I'm not going to go into it so much. He says, what is the power of God? What is the power of Jesus? power of Jesus is this. He died and rose again for you. And if he can do that and create the entire universe, he says he's got a lot of power, doesn't he? He says, if you know God, if you believe in God, guess where that power goes? Through those who know and believe in him. He said, well, I don't have that kind of power. Yes, you do. You do. The power of God for those who believe in him. Now, I, I often think of it like this. There was a, there's a story of a guy who tightrope walked across the Niagara Falls, which was a better story when we were in New York City, but in, in New York area. But there was a guy who tightrope walked across uh, Niagara Falls. Then he goes into the city of Niagara Falls and ties a tightrope between two tall buildings. Doing a little show, do 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 a little ditty. And then he asks somebody and says, hey, do you, do you believe that I could walk across this line? They're like, yeah, of course you can. You just walked across Niagara Falls. You're kind of the man. He goes, okay, good. Do you believe I could walk across 
this line with a wheelbarrow? Yeah, we do, and he does it. He says, do you believe that I can walk across this line with a wheelbarrow with 200 pounds in it? Like, whew, that's rough. Yeah, we believe it. He does it, back and forth. Do you believe I can walk across this line with a wheelbarrow with you in it? And like, yeah, we believe you could. He goes, good, get in. <laughs> Nobody moved. <laughs> Nobody got in, right? If you know God, it would it, would, it wouldn't be like, oh, I think maybe you could walk across the line. It would be, oh, what a wretched sinner I am. Whatever you're asking me to do, send me. Whatever it is. Please, now, sit now. Send me now. Our issue isn't that we don't want to do. Our issue is we don't believe God can do. Guess what? He created this thing. This is his world. If you don't like it, go make your own. But this is his. Which means there's anything in it. That's not mine, though. That was another pastor's. Go make your own thing. Everybody else says it. Anyways. Don't want to be accused of plagiarism. You have been called to know God. That's my prayer for you. My prayer. I don't have a do out for you. I'm not going to send you out of here with a list of how to make this happen. I'm going to pray for you. I'm going to pray that you know him. If you don't know him, like if you don't have, haven't had that initial introduction, we've got a whole list of chaplains in here. I'm one of them. Chaplain Ellis is one of them. Over here, over here, in the back. We're everywhere. Just raise your hand at some point. Like, hey, can I please talk to somebody? We want to introduce you. He's awesome. I want to introduce you because he's awesome. Now I'm going to pray for you. As I pray, band come up. Finish the last. Heavenly Father, Lord. God, open the eyes of our heart. Help us to see you. Lord, we sing that all the time. Lord, I pray that we would mean that statement. Lord, help us to know you. Not because we're smarter. Not because we're awesome. Not because we have the power. Lord, you, in your power, I'm asking 